Welcome to episode 13 for August 30th. This is Ken Brown. I'm Larry Castle. Thanks for joining us for That's a Good Question. Pastor Ken, last week we started a discussion about whether miracles are happening today. And we're going to continue that today, finish that off. And for those who were unable to join us last week, or perhaps um, you watched it and about 10 minutes later you forgot everything we said, uh, can you give folks a quick review for today? Yeah, well, I talked last week about my personal background and the fact that I grew up in a Pentecostal church and that my dad was a Pentecostal pastor. And Pentecostal, I'll remind everybody, refers to those who believe that we need to do today what was done in the first century. And one of the important events of the first century recorded in the Bible is the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That event in Acts chapter 2 included miraculous displays. So one who is a Pentecostal believes that miracles like those in Acts 2 and in other places in the Bible, that they are to continue today and that we should seek to emulate those. So for them, there's a near absolute continuity between then and now. And they use passages like Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. They use passages like that as, as proof. But we showed that even Jesus is not doing today what he did 2,000 years ago because he only died on the cross once. He only rose from the dead once. He only ascended into heaven once. And so although many things done in the Bible are, of course, continuing today, there is not an absolute continuity. And interestingly, we all really actually agree on that. We all agree that no scripture, for example, is being written today. Only the apostles and their associates were able to do that. That there are no resurrections happening today. You don't have anybody who has the ability like Jesus did, like the apostles did, to raise someone from the dead. So if there uh, are some things that happened then that are not happening now, then the question is, well, why not? And we, we saw that the apostles had special gifts and they had a special commission and they had special qualifications such that there are no apostles today. And therefore, what the Bible says in, for example, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of an apostle, that's a quote, the signs of an apostle are not being done today. So not everything that the Bible, we saw last week, that the Bible describes the apostles doing are at the same time things that it prescribes for us to do. Now, we have more explanation about all of that uh, in last week's episode, so I encourage those who missed it to watch, but that gives you a summary. Okay, so not all of the things that were happening in Bible times are happening today. So pretty clear, as you said, nobody's writing books of the Bible. And then besides that um, spoof resurrection that we saw on YouTube last year, nobody's claiming to have resurrected somebody from the dead. Uh, and it, for sure, folks who claim, there are actually some outlandish claims like that. It's never publicly attested to like in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the question though is just, just because not everything 
is happening today as happened in the Bible? Does it mean that none of the things that are happening in or happened in the Bible are happening today? For example, are there are there no healings today? Hmm. Yeah, it's good. Well, I believe that uh, healing is happening today, that God is healing people. And in fact, we're told in the Bible to to pray for healing. And we'll see that in just a bit. But the key for this discussion is that he's not doing the healing through a faith healer, through a miracle worker. So based on what the Bible teaches, I believe in healing, but I don't believe in healers. And, and here's the reason. God used people in the Bible, particularly Jesus and the apostles, to perform miraculous healings and other miracles. And he did those as signs. And that's a key word, signs of their authority. In the case of Jesus, his many miracles were not just in order to do good things for people, but rather as a sign that he is Israel's promised Messiah. Now, last week I mentioned the late and great theologian John Whitcomb. He says in an article, an article that we'll be happy to pass along to any who request it. He says this, why did Christ perform miracles during his public ministry? Was it to prove that God existed? Was it primarily to help people who were sick, crippled, or in special physical need? No, the purpose was to identify himself as Israel's true Messiah and to confirm the new revelation he was bringing to the nation. Thus, the healing of the paralytic man in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, was not for the primary purpose of helping him or to prove that God exists, but as Jesus said there, quote, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. When John the Baptist momentarily questioned Jesus' messianic identity, Jesus pointed to the people that he had just healed as a fulfillment of the promise of the coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Israel, Whitcomb says, had been historically conditioned to expect signs as the proper credentials of their Messiah and his apostles. The great tragedy, of course, was that Israel willfully rejected the signs that God did give to them. And so that's why now the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John, John selected seven miraculous signs that Jesus performed to show who Jesus is, to show that he really is who he claims to be. And John uses the word signs. And then at the end of the book of John, here's what uh, the apostle John says. He says in John chapter 20 and verse, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have, might have life in his name. So that's Jesus' ministry, that the miracles were designed to be, to be signs, signs of who he is and to authenticate his, his message and his identity. Likewise, the apostles' God-given ability to perform miracles was not simply to make people well, but rather to point to their special commission as apostles. The Bible calls their miracles signs also, just like it did with Jesus. So Hebrews chapter two, Hebrews chapter two and verse three, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. 
God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed his will. And I mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the apostle Paul says there, I performed signs of a true apostle. So if supernatural signs were intended to serve as confirmation of God's special messengers and their message, and that is what they were for, then it should be obvious that such signs would no longer be needed once these messengers had completed bringing their message. So you can have healings by God, but we no longer have faith healers. All right. So um, say, we're saying here that there are healings today, but no faith healers. And I'm really disappointed to hear that. I was hoping maybe there are some people in the audience who could heal our internet connection today. <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, <laughs> do you have Comcast at your house? This is, this is Comcast on this end. I think we're having some trouble with our friends at Comcast today. So bear with us, those of you who are watching. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll make sure that the message gets across, mm -hmm. even if it's out of sync a little bit from time to time. Mm -hmm. So you, you uh, describe Jesus and the apostles. Um, they were able to perform miracles that were signs that proved they were who they claimed to be. And the message that they were preaching was authentic. And then, so now that they're all gone, the signs are gone too. That's basically what we're saying, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, once uh, Christ uh, has ascended to heaven, the apostles have died, there's nothing more for these signs to point to. So anything miraculous that God does after that is not through a person whose message he's confirming like it was in the Bible. It doesn't mean that God's not doing anything out of the ordinary, that God's not doing anything supernatural, but he's not doing it through miracle workers. But even before the passing of the apostles, and I find this personally to be quite interesting, even as you read through the Bible and you put it in chronological order, you see that sign miracles were already starting to wane. It's interesting that the apostle Paul himself apparently lived to see the passing of, of miracles. Paul's last recorded miracles are recorded in the last chapter of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28. Now, the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. And after he arrives in Rome, his miracle working powers were apparently withdrawn by, by the Lord. Here's, here's an example. The Philippian church sent a person from their congregation to visit Paul in Rome. But when Paul wrote to them in Philippians chapter 2, he says that messenger, a man named Epaphroditus, had almost died from a sickness. And the clear implication is that Paul was unable to help him. You can read about that in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 25. And then on another occasion, Paul was back in Rome, and in his final letter in the New Testament, 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy that he had left another man, Trophimus, behind. He says, I left him in Miletus sick. I left him there in that city sick. So why didn't Paul heal him? And then for Timothy himself, when Paul learned that Timothy was sick, he didn't tell him, call for a faith healer. And he apparently knew of no faith healer for him to call for. But instead, he recommended this. This is a quote, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Timothy 5, 23. He says, stop drinking only water. 
and the water was often dangerously polluted. So stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So he's telling him to use wine as medicine, but not seek a, a faith healer. So as time went on in the first century, apparently miraculous gifts by miracle workers was already passing away. You know, could you imagine that on television, the faith healer, someone comes up, they're expecting to get the hand on the forehead and the guy hands them some uh, cough medicine or something? It would just be anticlimactic. So if healing does not happen then at the hands of faith healers, but you said... Uh, God still heals, how does that happen? Well, really, just uh, as a summary, in a nutshell, God answers the prayers of, of his people. We have an example in James chapter 5, and there you have someone gravely ill, and that person is instructed in James chapter 5 to, quote, call for the elders of the church, not for a faith healer to come to him or her. God does not promise immediate and spectacular healing in the passage, and he does not exclude recuperation process or the help of doctors and medicines. It's not, in James chapter 5, something for show. That is, it's not intended to serve as a sign to Israel or to unbelieving Gentiles that God is, is real. The purpose there in James chapter 5 is to encourage Christians to keep on trusting and serving the gracious Lord who renews their strength according to his will and purpose. So God does heal, but that is a paradigm, a model for the way God goes about it, the prayers of God's people. Gotcha. You know, a natural question people may be wondering then is, okay, so are all people healed when faithful mm. believers pray for them? Mm. Well, that really just can't be the case. As you look at the the Bible, you look at history, you just think about it. It cannot be the case because if it were the case, then no Christians of the early church would have ever died. <laughs> they, could all, they all have automatic and guaranteed healing available to them. But of course, everyone, everyone dies, which is a real conundrum for the whole God wants you healed and God wants you healthy all the time. Nobody's mm -hmm. healthy all the time because everybody, everybody dies. So uh, our request for healing then are not always granted. And in fact, even in the Bible, they were not always granted. You know, Paul had this thorn in the flesh, which appears to be a physical malady that he had, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And though he pleaded with the Lord three times to take this away, we know the famous words of the Lord back to him, my grace is sufficient uh, for you. And so the Lord did not heal Paul. So when these charlatans, on television tell you that you will be healed if you have enough faith. The truth is Paul had plenty of faith, but he was not healed. And you look in church history and you have many great Christians, John Calvin, David Brainerd, Francis Havergale, Robert Murray McShane, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Fanny Crosby, many, many others. They suffered for years with ill health and some of them died very young. So if, as the Lord told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, in answer to his three times pleading, take this thorn away from me, he says, my group, and then says, because my power is perfect in weakness, my power is made perfect in weakness, then it cannot be that God wants everyone healthy. Yeah, that, that seems pretty plain from that passage. I've actually had somebody tell me, 
that the response Paul quoted of my, uh, uh, my grace is sufficient for you should be interpreted that God then healed him. But like you said, you know, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I think it's highlighting the fact that, no, this is intentional, that I'm displaying my right. power in you. Yeah. That's right. Good. Okay. Yeah. So speaking of the guys on TV, the people who claim to be miracle workers or faith healers, then what, what is the deal with them? What do you make of that? Are they deliberately deceiving people? You know, just to be straight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the people who make claims to be healers and say that they're able to heal by the power that God has given them, they're lying. And they're doing it to, to take your money. I'm just being as straight mm -hmm. as I can about that. So friends, if you watch that network, uh, example, Trinity Broadcasting Network, that just has a steady parade of these people who come on, you should turn that off. Uh, those networks and there are others like it that are filled with these kind of people, turn that off and never send them a dime of your money. Never. Yeah, and Pastor John Wickham, Ken, let, me, let, me, let me jump in there and say, you're not judging these people's hearts or intentions. You're, you're going by what God's word says, right? Yeah, that's the, that, there you go. Thanks for pointing that out. I mean, I just have to go by everything that we've gone through here and yeah. what miracles are and uh, to, to make guarantees about miracles and all that is something that the Bible doesn't do. And so if people are doing that, then they are teaching falsely and they are making claims that are not actually taking place. So, yeah, that's just based on what the Bible says. Now, John Wickham, as I mentioned, the man I mentioned earlier, he points out that the miracles of Christ and the apostles, unlike these so-called miracles that happen today, they had a couple of characteristics. One, they were, they were spectacular and they were undeniable. Spectacular and undeniable. They were spectacular. Jesus didn't do tricks like you see the guys on TV doing. You know, you've seen the thing where they'll have somebody come up front and they'll say, this guy has a one leg that's, you know, an inch shorter than the other. And it's always, you know, just a, you know, an inch or two. You can barely see it on the camera. And then they make this dramatic thing in the name of Jesus, you know, be healed. And then supposedly his, his leg is growing and you're supposed mm -hmm. to be able to see it on the camera. Jesus never did any of those kind of, these were spectacular miracles. Uh, Jesus healed a man born blind. He replaced a healed man's uh, amputated ear. He immediately and completely resuscitated to life a man who was not only dead, but who had been dead for more than three and a half days. His body mm -hmm. was starting to, to decompose. None of these guys can do that. Jesus' miracles were spectacular and they were undeniable. Even this is another very interesting thing to me. Even the non-believing people who witnessed his miracles had to admit that they happened. Mm -hmm. Literally no one who saw Jesus at work ever questioned the complete supernatural character of his healing miracles. No one. Now the debate, and you'll find that in the Gospels, the debate centered entirely on whether these miraculous things he was doing were the work of God or the work of Satan. And we know that the religious leaders of Israel accused him of doing this work by Satan, but they never questioned that the work was happening, that he was actually doing these things. So friends, if it were God's plan to do now exactly what he did through certain men in the first century, then there would be no modern day deniers of the reality of miracles, even as there were no deniers in the day of Jesus. 
But the claims that are made by the so-called faith healers, miracle workers today, those can easily be refuted because they are so uh, so uh, uh, non-spectacular. They are so uh, you know sleight of hand, and it's not clear at all that the thing that was claimed actually took place. None of that was true for Jesus. These were undeniable miracles. Yeah, some some folks have actually made a cottage industry of uh, debunking those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've used here miraculous, miraculous healings by faith healers as a good representative example of how things are different today than mm -hmm. they were in the first century. So uh, though if people were not healing, uh, they're certainly not raising people from the dead either. You know, you've right. highlighted how things, these things that are claimed to have been done are, are not even close to what was being done by Jesus and the apostles. So what about, though, other uh, miracles that are claimed today apart from healings and resurrections? So something more perhaps mundane like speaking in tongues. Is that happening today? Hmm. Well, in one sense, uh, if you define properly what speaking in tongues is, then yeah, it's happening today. Because whenever somebody speaks in a human, intelligible language, they are speaking in tongues. Because that's what the Bible teaches speaking in tongues was. People speaking in regular human languages that other people understood. So in that sense, yeah, that's happening today. Okay, but that's not miraculous, right? So you and I are right. here. We're speaking in English in an understandably understandable way, allegedly. <laughs> uh, so, so what's the difference with so-called speaking in tongues and then me just going to Mexico and speaking in Spanish to the people there? Hmm. Well, we're speaking in languages that we've learned. And if you've learned Spanish, and by the way, that, that's something I didn't know about you. If you know Spanish. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, 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 bueno, I know that. I know bueno. Uh, uh, where, uh, que baño? I, I, where's the bathroom? I, I, I've been there three times. You'd think I'd know more Spanish. <laughs> but if you did know Spanish, it would be because you learned it. And mm -hmm. we're speaking in English because we've learned it naturally. In the Bible, on occasion, like on the day of Pentecost, people spoke in language they, languages they had not learned. They spoke in languages supernaturally. But in addition to the sign miracle issue that we talked about earlier, which applies to this tongues issue also, add to this now the issue that speaking in tongues is a language that people understand. Even then in the Bible, when it was supernatural, and it was a language that the individual speaking it had not learned like we learn our language. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, the people hearing it were hearing a real human language that those people understood. So if all the people you're with uh, know the same language, there's no need for a miracle to speak to them. Mm. So in churches in America where most everybody speaks English, there's no need to speak in something else. But in the day, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says there were, for that feast, that annual feast, Pentecost, there were Jews from every nation, uh, of the, uh, every nation gathered in Jerusalem. And so the apostles were given, miraculously, the ability to speak to those people in their own language, even though the apostles had never learned those languages. Now, I can tell you from personal experience with my Pentecostal background, that's contrary to the way speaking in tongues is practiced by our Pentecostal friends. Uh -huh. yep. They speak in words that no 
no one understands, not even themselves. It's often an, an ecstatic utterance that's supposedly from God, but that's not what it was in Acts chapter 2, and it's not what is commended in 1 Corinthians 14. The entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 is devoted to this issue of speaking in tongues. And Paul, who wrote that, commends a particular approach to using your gifts for the benefit of other people. And speaking in a language that nobody else understands is not one of the things that is commended. So we're told in 1 Corinthians 14 very directly that we are to speak in ways that edify, that is, that build up others. And speaking in a language that no one else understands obviously is not doing that. Okay. If you can hear that noise, uh, it's raining cats and dogs out there, so <laughs> there's no way for me to mask that. So when we're recording this, we're getting a big, uh, nice big rain. You may hear thunder. <laughs> so um, back to what you were saying then. Uh, so the Bible actually addresses this directly then, mm -hmm. that the church, no one in the church should ever speak in a language that the congregation doesn't understand, right? So, so uh, that then, I think, speaks to what you may have heard people say uh, from time to time, that speaking in tongues is not for the church, but it's a private prayer language, right? So this, this kind yeah. of addresses that. Right. Yeah, that, that's right. There are people who say that. I've, I've heard people who say that. So, so those people will concede that only language that people understand should ever be spoken in, in the church. But they say in private, you can speak in tongues, a language that you may not know yourself, but it's a private language to, to God. And they base that on a passage in 1 Corinthians 14, that chapter that I just mentioned that deals with this issue of speaking in tongues. And right at the beginning, the second verse of 1 Corinthians 14, here's what it says. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They, un they utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, that's verse 2 at the very beginning of 40 verses, 40, in that chapter that are all about only doing what is for the building up, the edification of others. So in that context, verse 2 is not saying it's a valid thing for you to do this, for you to speak in a supposed God language, but rather this is the claim of those who are doing it, in that case, in the city of Corinth, in our day, our Pentecostal friends are doing it. And then it goes on for 38 verses to refute that. So in context, that's, I believe, the proper way to understand what's being said there. Not that there is this private language, it's a God language, and only, only God understands it. But rather, Paul is saying, you Corinthians are practicing this. And now I'm going to go for 38 verses and tell you why that's not what you should you should be doing. Now, if you have a, a Pentecostal friend, I know some people like this who believe that they are able at home when they are praying that the Spirit gives them a, an ability to speak uh, to God in prayer, in tongues, in this kind of ecstatic speech. You know, I definitely do not care about that as much as what happens in the church. But I, I will just say to any of our viewers who might do that, I see no warrant, whatever, for speaking to God in anything other than one's native language, whether it's in private or anywhere.
Okay. Well, all right, last question. You said that faith healers are faking it and deceiving people. But what about, you know, the person you were just talking about, the Pentecostal believer? What do, what do we think of them? And uh, are these folks brothers and sisters in the Lord? How serious is this? Well, I said at uh, the beginning last week that I have Pentecostal friends last week and again this week. I keep saying it that way, my Pentecostal friends. I have Pentecostal friends that I love. My, my late father is, I believe, with the Lord, and he was a, a Pentecostal pastor. Uh, they were, in my Pentecostal church, my dad, they were not making claims about healing people and taking their money like the false teachers on TV do. So I, I believe that most are sincere, sincerely mistaken. I am convinced of that, but sincere nevertheless. Now, that doesn't mean these matters aren't serious. I just don't believe that for most, these are matters of whether or not you are a Christian, whether or not we're going to be together in, in heaven. I don't make that claim. But these matters can become very important. If someone believes that God, for example, is miraculously speaking through them, that will undermine the sufficiency of scripture. God has spoken in his word, and that is where he speaks to his, his people. So these kinds of miraculous or supposed miraculous manifestations can be very serious because they undermine first order doctrines, you know, cardinal doctrines of our faith. Or, for example, if someone believes that God has promised to heal in all instances, that, that can be harmful to their own personal faith because something comes along that happens, God doesn't respond the way they think he's promised to, and they have a crisis of faith. And so I consider my Pentecostal brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters in the Lord, but I'm convinced that they are in error and they need to be very careful about where those errors can take them. Got it. So I said that was my last question, but uh, one more. This is really the last question. What would you recommend? Any any further uh, resources you direct somebody to to learn more about this? Yeah, there's uh, there are uh, a few good books uh, on this for those who want to pursue it further. Uh, one on just the issue of miraculous uh, gifts and whether or not those are continuing. There's a book uh, that asks the question on the cover. This is the title, To Be Continued? Question mark. And the book makes the case that I've, we've made over these last uh, two weeks that no, the, the things that happened in the first century are not being continued in the same way that they did, but it lays it out very carefully, but also very understandably. It's not a very large book. We have it in our resource center to be continued, the author is Sam Waldron, W-A-L-D-R-O-N, Sam Waldron. So that's that's one book. On this issue uh, that we talked about last week of the Bible describing certain things for us to do, but not prescribing those, not everything the Bible describes that others did is it saying you are supposed to do also. On that issue, there's a, a book on how to interpret the Bible. And again, not a very large book, fairly easy to read. It's called How to Read the Bible for All Its Worth. How to Read the mm -hmm. Bible for All Its Worth. It's a classic. Gordon Fee and Don Stewart. That is a classic, yeah. And that, that has a chapter on narratives in the Bible, and it goes through this whole descript, description, prescription uh, distinction. And then a, another book is called Strange Fire. Strange Fire. That's by John MacArthur. 
Back several years ago, MacArthur at his church held a conference called Strange Fire. And it was all about Pentecostalism, how Pentecostalism started, and some of the things that it has brought into evangelical Christianity that have not been healthy. Uh, I have not gotten into all of those, but you, you could. And the, and the origin and then some of the fruit that have come from that root, there, there are some very bad things uh, that have occurred as a result of that. And so that book lays some of that out, again, in a very readable fashion, Strange Fire, John MacArthur. We have that in our resource center as well. Last one is I kept alluding over the last two weeks to John Whitcomb, and John Whitcomb has an article, a uh, good article uh, in the Grace uh, Theological Journal, um, yeah, Grace Theological Journal, and uh, he wrote on miracles in the Bible. And so we could get uh, that to anyone who requests it. Okay. So that's all very helpful. And uh, Pastor Ken, we really appreciate you uh, lending us your uh, study and learning on this, as well as your experience with it. I uh, hope you found this very helpful, those of you who are watching at home. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about this or uh, look up more of our series, uh, here at CBC, you can check out our website, cbctrenton.com. And then don't forget to follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So thanks for watching with us again this week. Uh, have a good weekend and we'll see you in the next episode. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com or text it to us at 97000.